Good morning. I was in my backyard yesterday filming an episode of Man vs. Rake. I uh, was doing some yard work, which is rare for me. Uh, I'm not very good at it. And uh, turned around and stepped on my rake. And man, that thing caught me right here, gave me a big fat lip. Uh, and I don't know how it missed my glasses, but I was just stunned for a minute. I thought, I'm going to die right here. How do I, you know, call for help? My neighbor's at the coast. My wife's inside. I'm just going to die in a pile of garbage, you know. So, But I survived, and uh, I thought, I've got to get to church tomorrow, so I better just rest now the rest of the day. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, no, I, I, I finished. But it was weird. Have you ever done that? Who's done that? Who's stepped on a rake? Oh, God bless you and you. I see that hand. It's more common than you think, uh, you know, so... Man, did that hurt. So anyway, just thought I'd bring you up to date in my life. I'm going to be talking like a couple of times, so I don't want you to think, uh, you know, I'm on uh, mind-altering uh, medication. But uh, anyway, uh, Joshua chapter 2 is our text. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. Yes, we're going to try and get through the entire chapter. Uh, we did it first service as a kind of a trial run, and uh, we did it. Verses 1 through 24, the topic, Rahab tells a lie to protect the two spies who have come to her in gathering information. The title of our message, Spy versus Lie. Obviously, no one here has ever read Mad Magazine. So anyway, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone... They shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be, when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. 
Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. She bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, appreciate that you've given us the opportunity to worship you already this morning. Our voices have joined together as a chorus of praise. We understand in Scripture, Lord, the picture of our praise rising before you as incense, filling heaven with a sweet savor. It's hard to believe, Lord, that you would be even interested in our singing. Far more than interested, Lord, it is a delight to you. We've prepared our hearts in every possible way so that we can hear from you this morning. We pray that by the fantastic ministry of your Holy Spirit in this place and in our lives, that your word would hit home and be powerfully and wonderfully received. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Many of you work at a place where your employer posts a list of job opportunities that become available for you to apply and test for. You regularly peruse the listings looking for something that will both challenge you and further your career. It strikes me that there are a lot of job postings in the Bible. As you peruse its pages, you see that being a Christian is compared to many different occupations including but not limited to being a soldier, a farmer, a priest, an athlete. And you can probably think of several others yourself from your own Bible reading. A major difference between your employer's job listings and God's is that you are expected to be all of the things that you read in the Bible. You are an athlete and a soldier. You are a priest and a farmer. Each comparison teaches you something different about living the Christian life. There are a couple of interesting job opportunities for you in our text this morning. You can be a spy or you can be a former harlot. Since we're called upon to wear many hats, we want to wear them well. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, sometimes you're the spy operating among the enemy. And number two, sometimes you're the former harlot oppressed by the enemy. Let's take a look at our time as spies operating among the enemy. Does the number two ring a bell? When 12 spies were sent into the land 40 years earlier, only two of them returned a good report. They were Joshua and his buddy Caleb. The other 10 gave an evil report and as a result discouraged the nation of Israel. And as a result, not only did they not go into the promised land, 
God allowed that whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, to die off in the wilderness over a span of about 40 years, raising up a whole new generation to inherit the land. And so the choice of two spies, very symbolic, uh, representing the two spies who were faithful to the Lord and to his message. I suggest that Joshua handpicked two guys that he could trust. Some ministry can be tried. You can try your hand at it, see how you're doing. Some ministry requires trusted, proven men who have uh, been faithful to the Lord. And he picked these two guys. Sometimes there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Other times, when God has clearly spoken, all a committee can do is overrule God. And that's what the 12 spies experienced. They weren't sent into the land to find out if they should conquer the land, only to get a, a, a sense of the lay of the land and of the hearts of the people. But ten of the spies thought that they were a, an invasion committee. And they came back and said, we can't do this. We don't have the resources. The obstacles are too great. The enemy is too strong. And the more Joshua and Caleb said, you guys are nuts. This, that's not what we were sent into the land for. Finally, the ten, the committee prevailed. And so we always want to get a multitude of counsel. But sometimes God has just spoken. And if it's in his word and he tells you to act upon it, you don't really need a lot of counsel. There are sometimes, I, I joke, jokingly I say this sometimes. People will say, well, I'm going to pray about that. And I'm, I'll say, you don't need to pray about that. God has given you his command in this area. What's to pray about? Sure, there's a lot of things to pray about. But some things you don't really need to pray about because you've already got God's word. And you just need to step out in faith. Now, these two guys were pilgrims and they were farmers who would be soldiers during the conquest of the land. And so they had all of those occupations going. For a time, they were called upon to be spies operating among the enemy. Their stated mission was to view the land, especially Jericho. And they definitely accomplished that. They also, we find out, had a spiritual mission unbeknownst to them. And it turned out to be the reassuring of a Gentile prostitute of her salvation, her place in the family of God. We are like spies when we are out in the world, or at least I hope that after today, we will adopt that mentality that you will add to your uh, repertoire of occupations, spy. We should be viewing the land with an eye towards how we can conquer it as directed by the Lord. And we, too, are on a mission within that mission to assure sinners that they can be saved. And so, again, in verse 1, we read that Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Groves uh, to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. I like the phrase, spy secretly, as if they were going to spy openly. Hi, we're spies. Here's our identification. You know, they, they had their, you know, you know how uh, law enforcement has those really cool T-shirts, you know, that they wear that says ATF on the back of their assault gear and stuff like that. These guys put on their Jewish spy T-shirts, you know, uh, spy for God and stuff. They got some Christian T-shirts going. And so, and so it sounds funny, but really I think what it means probably, obviously a spy mission is a secret mission. 
It was kept secret from the nation of Israel. Joshua decided on his own, I could use some recon. I want to know what the feeling of the people is. Not to decide if we're going to go in, but just to give me some more intelligence. And so he called these guys apart secretly. Not everybody knew what was going on. And it was a wise move on Joshua's part. Maybe an overly cautious move. But, you know, after you've been walking around in the desert for 40 years waiting for everybody to die. I mean, do you imagine what an experience that was? Do you think, I think Joshua and Caleb got together with lists. Say, hey, okay, all right, all right, well, we got 30,000 more people to go. You know, and then finally you're down to the last guy. I wonder, do they just follow that guy around? Well, seriously, I mean, there's got to be the last guy has to die, I mean, stuff, and, and then God's going to do something. I'm not saying it in a morbid way, but you've got to be interested in that if you're Joshua and Caleb. Hey, act interested, but not too interested. Oh, so how you feeling, Hiram? <laughs> no, you look fine to me. You don't need that medication. But uh, anyway... They're anxious to get in. He doesn't, you know, the last thing Joshua needs is 10 more guys who are going to discourage the new generation. And he's got another 40 year stint in the wilderness. He'll start killing people himself if that's the case. Now, Rahab's house was more like an inn. And, and some commentators point out correctly that the word here used for harlot is the word innkeeper. Was she a harlot, a prostitute? Yes, she was, because when you get to the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and in James, chapter 2, those writers call her the harlot Rahab, Rahab the harlot, and they choose the word and use the word prostitute. And so uh, she ran a brothel. It was an inn where travelers would come and, and get a room overnight, and, and uh, sometimes more than that. And this would be the perfect place to both blend in and to hear news from travelers from all over. This would be where the travelers uh, would come and grab a, a mead or a whatever they drank in those days. You know, I don't know what the drink of choice was and, and kind of hang out in this environment and swap stories. Now, I'm not recommending that we frequent brothels and bars. I would only know that we do need to know what is happening out in the world in order to reach sinners with the good news about Jesus. It's very easy as a Christian, the longer you walk with the Lord, depending on your contacts with the outside world, uh, it's very easy to become less and less acquainted with the world and what's going on in the world, to become a little bit sheltered uh, from things. and and it kind of sometimes changes your attitude about people outside the church. You, you start to almost despise sinners rather than want to reach out to them. And believe me, there's enough to despise about them, uh, but such were some of us at one time. And secondly, I would want us to give the benefit of the doubt to believers that God has raised up who minister among groups of people that we would find somewhat unsavory. Uh, there are always those edgy ministries, people that, you know, are probably never going to come into your church, uh, but you have to go out to them. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you look at them, they don't, they don't look normal, you know, they, they're, they're just, I don't want to bring up any particular groups because I'll get in trouble, but, you know, there's just fringe groups of people that, uh, and, you know, God has to raise up people among them to minister to them. And sometimes we have a kind of a standoffish attitude. You say, well, you know, 
you shouldn't you know, dress like that and look like that if you're a Christian. Well, you're going to have to if you're going to want to meet and minister to certain people. Now, do some people use that as an excuse to sin? Well, sure. But I've known a lot of people who God has sincerely raised up to minister in situations I frankly don't feel comfortable in or wouldn't feel comfortable going and certainly wouldn't send my wife into, you know, and, and yet God has his servants there. Verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. The king of the city-state of Jericho had his own spies. It seemed as though the two spies were about to assume a new occupation as prisoners of war. Uh, it didn't seem like they could escape. Now, there's a lot of counter-espionage out in the spiritual realm. Jacob alluded to that this morning in his passage to Ponder. The God of this world, the devil, has his agents. You can feel outnumbered and outgunned as the Lord's spies. A lot of times you're, you're trying to establish something or move in some area, and you're blocked by uh, these supernatural forces as people come against you. Not to worry. God has his hand of protection upon you, and all things work together for the good. Now, since we're following the spies, let's drop down to verse 14. Rahab hid them and asked them to spare herself and her family during the invasion. So the men answered her in verse 14, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. They were absolutely convinced of victory over Jericho and in the land. You and I should talk to others with confidence, knowing the Lord has conquered sin and death and is coming for his church. They promised themselves as surety for Rahab when they said, Our lives for yours. Jesus is called our surety in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. It tells us that salvation is grounded in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Because he died for you and lives for you, you can be sure of eternal life. And so we, when it comes to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers sinners, we can be absolutely confident when we share that. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it, when you just... You know, whether you have a, a, a degree or not, whether you have a high-powered job or not, whoever you are, in the most important area of human life, eternal life, spiritual salvation, you can speak with heaven's absolute certain authority if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repent from your sin, you will be saved right now and for eternity. God will justify you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty strong statement. There are you know, not that many things that people are actually certain of, but that's something that we are certain of and we aren't wavering about it. In verse 15, she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. These guys were in great shape and well-trained. To get to Jericho, they had to swim across a swollen Jordan River, probably at night. Now they had to rappel down a wall. These were like the Navy SEAL team, you know. I mean, these are the guys that you call for a real incursion. 
Often the Old Testament's physical realities represent our spiritual realities. Bodily exercise profits a little, and we should do what we can to stay healthy. However, what we're really looking at here, if we want to be tapped as spies in the spiritual realm, then we need to be in great spiritual shape. We need to be ready when the Lord taps us and says, I need you for an incursion into enemy territory. Then in verse 16, she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. The Jews were delivered from Egypt by putting the blood of a sacrificed lamb on their doorposts. The death angel saw the blood on the doorposts and passed over the houses that were protected by blood. This scarlet cord is a similar token for Rahab in Jericho. When God's destruction came to Jericho, the soldiers would see the cord and all that was inside that window would be spared. And so it becomes a way of representing to us that Rahab was saved by grace through faith in the sacrifice of a substitute. And really, that's the only way people have ever been saved for all of human history. Right there in the Garden of Eden, God established that uh, if you, you know, the, the, so, the soul that sins will surely die. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. And then he sacrificed an innocent substitute to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. Then when you get to the Passover, it's the lamb that covers for the sins of the people. And if he sees that on their doorpost, they're saved. Now with Rahab, it's the same kind of a token. And so this is telling us that she was saved by grace through faith in the God of the Bible. Then verse 18 goes on and says, Unless you bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's household to your home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. We will be guiltless, and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. By the way, these guys have a remarkable... Uh, latitude in in the things that they're promising don't they I mean you know here they encounter this this Gentile woman uh, will see a former prostitute and and they say okay yeah we're gonna come in and kill everybody but if you do this we will give our lives a surety that none of our people will kill you I suggest to you that they understood as we'll see later on the nature and the character of God in wanting to save and here what they're really saying there is only one way to be saved. Rahab, if you want your family saved, there's only one way they have to come in through the door of your house that has the scarlet cord in the window. There is only one household of faith. There is only one way to be saved. There is only one door to salvation, Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's, that's our message and we're sticking to it. It's the only thing we have to share with people. There are not many ways to God. It doesn't matter how sincere people are, how spiritual they seem or anything. They have to trust Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation and come into the household of faith where they are covered by the blood 
of the Lamb. Otherwise, they face the wrath of God and the destruction to come. You don't want to be out in the street uh, as a Buddhist or a Muslim or uh, you know, a, a philosopher or somebody belonging to some false cult when the judgment of God comes because you'll be destroyed. And so in verse 21, she said, according to your word, so be it. She went away. Uh, she sent them away, excuse me, and they departed. She bound the scarlet cord in the window, and they departed and went to the mountain, stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Here you can add mountain climbing to the list of physically challenging activities. I mean, these are remarkable spies. And this was their debrief, not much to it. They simply gave Joshua the intel that the people were faint-hearted. And what an encouraging message that would be for Joshua to go to his troops and say, Hey, I sent spies in. They came back. Their message is... The people of the land are faint-hearted. Their hearts are melting in fear that we are coming to destroy them. Are the inhabitants of the country faint-hearted because of us? They ought to be because God's judgment is coming. If we do not inspire the fear of God in non-believers, we might be giving them the wrong impression. They might see us as a group of campers along the border rather than an army that's about to invade. They might see us as tourists rather than spies. And so it's an interesting comparison. We're talking about the roles that we play, the occupations God has given us. The people in the land of Canaan, whether they could see 14 miles across the Jordan or not, they knew that's where the uh, Jews were encamped. And they understood that that was an invading army. They didn't look out there and say, oh, look at those people from the Good Sam Club that are, you know, camped at the side of the river, you know. I wonder if they'll come into town and buy trinkets. No, they came into town as spies and they were looking for them as spies, not as tourists. And all I'm saying is that I know this has happened in my life and it happens from time to time. Sometimes you just kind of grow comfortable in a certain environment. You've been there, especially if you've lived in one place for a long time, worked in the same place for a long time, around the same people even. You kind of grow comfortable in there. Everybody kind of sees you as a camper. You're a happy camper. And they don't really appreciate the fact that you're an, a, a soldier or a spy. And so your relationship is more like a tourist. You're the Christian, they're the worldling, but you're just kind of on a tour there. Uh, and, and so... Uh, May this story kind of elevate our thinking again and say, hey, I don't think anybody's really faint-hearted because of me. And, and if not, just go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I want to be your spy. I want to have a strategy for taking this area. I want to reach people with the gospel. And the Lord will begin to reveal many things for you. Now, let's commit to soldiering and spying in these last days. Sometimes, the second thing we're going to look at quickly, you're the former harlot oppressed by the enemy. If you're a Christian, you are a former something. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. Okay, I've, I'm, I'm clean so far, you're thinking. And then he says, nor covetous people. And then he goes on, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I might have been okay if it hadn't been for the covetous thing. Too bad it is in the original Greek. You know, and, and, and the, the point is, this is who we were. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. In fact, we were really all harlots like Rahab in a spiritual sense. As Gentiles, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And that means you were outside of God's chosen nation and outside of his covenant promises. You were a spiritual adulterer seeking after other gods. If you are a Christian and you are saved, you are thus a former spiritual harlot. Now, before we say anything else, I want to deal with Rahab's lie. That seems to be something that really dominates people's commentary and attention. It's really not at all the point of this passage, but we have to talk about it. The Bible reports it without condoning it. We might say that she was a new believer, relatively new believer. She was saved from a pagan culture and was still pressed by that culture. And she responded under pressure by lying. Should we lie given a similar situation? And that is the problem in a nutshell. Does the Bible teach a situational ethics? Well, it doesn't. The end never justifies the means. It is never right to do what is wrong. And we would conclude from reading the Bible, therefore, that we should not lie. Well, what about Rahab and the situation with the spies? Well, maybe we should consult someone who was in a similar situation. Corrie ten Boom hid Jews during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. She tells a story of being stopped one night on the way to a secret Bible meeting, which was against the law and would reveal her as a Christian. When asked where she was going, she responded, I'm going to the reading of my brother's will, which is essentially true when you read the Bible. It's the New Covenant, the New Testament. It's what we've inherited because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stopped by the same soldiers on her way back and asked how it went, she said, Great, I got everything. Now, whether you and I can think on our feet that way, the way Corey ten Boom could, Rahab couldn't, at least at that point in her life, God could have protected the spies some other way. Rahab could have evangelized the soldiers, said, yeah, they're here, and let me tell you who they represent and what this is all about. God may have let those spies been captured for his glory. We don't know. Rahab's story includes her lie, but it is not a text on ethics. She hid the two spies, and then she sent the pursuing soldiers on a wild goose chase. Now let's take a quick, a quick look at her words to the spies. Verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The terror of you has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For you have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. 
As I said, Rahab managed an inn and it received many travelers. She goes back 40 years ago and says, we heard about the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptian army. More recently, the new generation of Jews had overcome the two kings of the Amorites. Rahab was already saved by the time of the arrival of the spies as a result of these testimonies, and we know she was because of these things. Number one, her words indicate she already believed in one God. Number two, her words indicate she already believed the one God was a personal God. Number three, her words indicate she already believed the one personal God was the God revealed to and through the nation of Israel. And number four, her words indicate that she already believed the one personal God of Israel was also the God of all heaven and all the earth. Rahab couldn't have put it any clearer that she believed in the God of the Bible. They didn't share with her. They didn't evangelize her. She believed the testimony that she had been given, the light that she had received, and she was, had thrown herself on the mercy of God. And that's why we call her the former harlot, because by this time uh, she is not. And so it's gracious here that God saves a Gentile and her family right as the Israelites go in to start killing everyone. It's an emblem of his not being willing that any should perish it's a reminder that they will if they do not repent and believe. It's really a remarkable thing to see Rahab saved at the beginning of this story because God had told uh, through Moses, the children of Israel, to kill everyone. And if you're really a strict legalist, you're going to want to kill everyone. But these spies knew and Joshua knew and any really sincere child of God knows that when God says, I'm going to kill everyone, he'll always make an exception for that person who calls upon him to save them, who throws themselves upon the mercy of God. Jonah knew that, and that's why he wouldn't go to Nineveh at first. He hated the Ninevites, and he didn't want them to get saved. He knew that there was a better than average chance that when he preached judgment and they repented, God would save them, and he wanted them dead. He had an understanding of the nature and the character of God. It skewed him in the wrong direction because of his personal prejudice, but uh, we want to have that understanding. We want to know that God is loving and merciful and gracious and forgiving, and we want to portray him that way out in the world. Christians have a really, really bad reputation for being cruel and judgmental and just mean-spirited. Now, maybe we don't deserve it. It's a media-driven thing or, you know, you can always find, you know, one bad apple. You know, one Christian who's saying something horrible about the judgment of God and it taints the rest of us. So, I'm not, you know, I don't think we need to go crazy trying to change our reputation like some Christians have swung all the way to the other side and said, well, we're not even going to preach the gospel anymore. We're just going to show the love of Jesus Christ because we don't want to offend anybody anymore. That's just lame. They'll be offended in hell. They'll wonder why you didn't tell them about Jesus because you didn't want to offend them. So that's not the answer. The answer is to just recognize that people have their opinions and then for us to have an, a real grasp of the nature and character of God and to see people the way God sees them. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And so that's the way I want to see people. As far as we know, Rahab was the first Gentile converted under the law. And hers is the first recorded conversion of a woman in the Bible. God goes on to put her in his family as she goes on to marry an Israelite. There's even some speculation among scholars that her husband, a guy named Salmon, might have been one of these spies. Not only that, in the New Testament, you understand that she is in the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And she's one of only four women mentioned in his genealogy. Not only that, she is only one of two women named in Hebrews 11, Sarah being the other. That's the great faith chapter. What a picture of God's grace. He saves her, puts her into his family. She brings forth the fruit of her womb, which is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What a picture of grace in our lives as Gentiles. We've been placed into the family of God, and then God wants to bring fruit from our life. A lot of the time, we are going to assume the role of the former harlot. Like Rahab, we live surrounded by a degenerate society that is headed for God's judgment. The enemy will oppress us. We will find ourselves in many situations where we are tempted to do wrong. You know, the devil, one of his strategies is to invent situations that seem to be forcing you to lie or to cheat or to steal or to, to, to cut corners or to do what everyone else is doing and, and to be like the world. It's amazing. I mean, there's some professions you think, oh, yeah, I can see where, you know, they're going to want you to cheat or lie or steal there. And, and maybe, you know, as a Christian, you, you, you can't even do that. But it's always amazing to me when people come up and say, man, you know, I work here and this is what they want me to do. And, and it can be very, very difficult. And if we're honest, there are times that we've fallen short. We perhaps have told something like a lie, uh, which is really a lie. Uh, or, or we've been pressured to go along with the world. Maybe you're facing that right now. And so we, we, we are oppressed. We're like Rahab living in that little house, the former prostitute, and waiting for God to deliver, you know, that city and, and take it over. And it can be very, very difficult. But with God's help, we can navigate those difficulties. We can bind a scarlet cord around our lives, and we can invite others to come into the house of the Lord and to the place of spiritual safety. And when we fall short... Like Rahab did, God will forgive us. We never sin so that grace might abound. But God is a forgiving God and a loving God, and He draws us along and, and matures us over time. Don't forget, though, that you are also a spy. View all the land where you live and work and play. Believe that God has given you victory everywhere you tread. Begin to see a strategy for reaching the places where God has sent you. And, and, and be refreshed and encouraged about this. You have to earn a paycheck. You might even like your job. You might enjoy going there every day. You might like the people you work with. That's great. But you're still a spy out in enemy territory. And God wants you to be the kind of spy that will encourage at a point people to be faint-hearted and to reach out to the living God. And so ask the Lord how you can accomplish that and, and you'll be amazed 
at the small but powerful ways he will show you to have a testimony in that place. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these things. We appreciate Rahab and the message of grace that permeates her life in Joshua and uh, in the genealogies of Jesus and also in the books of Hebrews and James. I uh, pray that we could definitely identify with her today. We all are former something. And maybe even people think of us that way still. But we've been saved by grace through faith, washed, sanctified, justified by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to go and tread and claim territory, whether it's in our personal lives, in our families, or out in the world where you've placed us. We want to tread there from a, uh, a standpoint of victory having already been promised us. And so, Lord, make these things realities in our life by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Make sure you meet somebody you've never met before. That's your assignment. Uh, we're here to pray with you after the service. So if there's something on your heart, come forward. Cafe will be open uh, for your pleasure and enjoyment, mostly for your fellowship, just to get to know some people and to hang out with them. Buy somebody a cup of coffee and uh, make them stay, you know, and, and, and enjoy what God has given us, this blessed land. Uh, you're going to have to return to the world soon enough. Uh, get all the encouragement you can while you're here. May God bless you and keep you. Those of you who have the day off tomorrow, enjoy that time. Uh, remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice that we might enjoy this tremendous freedom that we have. Well, you, you never know how much longer this is going to last. Uh, and so we should take advantage of it. It's an open door. It's a day uh, in which we can go forth. And so be thankful. Uh, may God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.